If you got your Bibles, turn. Let's, let's go back to 1 John, where we left off, 1 John chapter 2. Well, thank you for standing as we open the Word of God together, and we're going to start this morning with verse 15. I'll read verses 15 through 18, and then we'll kind of look at uh, the rest of this chapter as well this morning. John's writing this letter, and he says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him, because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Children, it is the last hour, as we have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, and we know from this that it is the last hour. Father, if John wrote that this was the last hour 2,000 years ago, then we learned that there's something about the world in which we live in the church age that uh, embraces the spirit of Antichrist. Lord, your word says indeed many Antichrists have come, and Lord, we know that it's setting the stage for the ultimate revolt against the things of God. But Lord, we are your people, we're your children. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation of people that you've called to make a difference. And Lord, I pray that this morning your word would speak to our hearts. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict and draw us close to you and that we would discover what real victory is all about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We might title the the first part of the, the real victory message this morning, Contenders or pretenders. Contenders or pretenders. Now, those of you who are big-time football fans or maybe sports fans, you've heard this language before. All you have to do is, uh, at the beginning of any season, watch uh, maybe ESPN, listen to the radio. You, you discover that they're trying to already discern contenders or pretenders. In fact, after week six, ESPN did an article, did a blog on contenders and pretenders in the NFL, trying to discern Who was a contender? In other words, who is for real? Who can we count on being around at the end of the season? And who's a pretender? Who might look like they're for real, but they're not really for real? And and all that they could really um, say there after week six, it seems like they knew for sure that the Patriots were contenders. They were at the top of the list. This team is for real. And for some of us, we're like, yeah, 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 same old, same old. We're sick and tired of the Patriots kind of always. There may be some Patriot fans here. Um, But at the bottom of the list was the Cleveland Browns, and they were saying they're just not going to be around. And and sure enough, they were right about that. Everybody in between, they were kind of like, we we really don't know how the season. We're just going to have to watch this thing play out to see who is for real. And and for many of us, we're glad that it – played out in the favor of the Falcons this year because some of us are just big-time homers and it don't matter. I cheered for the Braves in the rotten years and have cheered for them again in some rotten years, right? Uh, We just cheer for the home team. We're loyalists. We're going to be faithful uh, regardless. I I tell folks, I've cheered for the Braves when the Braves and Michael Jackson wore one glove for no apparent reason. I cheered for the uh, Falcons when the bumper stickers would say, go Falcons and take the Braves and the Hawks with you. I know that you know, it's tough sometimes being a fan, but, but the Falcons haven't seemed to be a pretender. Sports analysts like to speculate. 
And, and what they say is, early in the season, there may be a lot of hype, and there may be a lot of emotion, but the question in the end is going to be, who executed? Who, who was still around at the end of the season? Who finished strong? And you know, that parallels in, in a great way what John is writing about when it comes to people of faith. He's saying early on there's going to be a lot of pretenders. But in the end you'll see they weren't contenders. There might have been a lot of hype. There might have been a lot of emotion surrounding what they were doing in the beginning of their journey. But somewhere along the way they proved not to be contenders but only pretenders. So we have to ask the question this morning spiritually. Is there a lot of hype? Is there a lot of emotion? And listen, I am not against hype and emotion when it's in its place and, and when it's for real, when it's based on something that is genuine and, and something that is authentic. But many movements in the church have been filled with hype and emotion, but in the end there wasn't something that is lasting because it wasn't based on truth and something that was real. Dr. Bennett, my mentor that many of you might have remembered years ago when I was able to have him come here and preach a revival, used to constantly say, a faith that fizzles before the finish was a faith with a fatal flaw from the first. Well, that's kind of a tongue twister there, but it's, it's true. A faith that fizzles before the finish was a faith with a fatal flaw from the first. It was someone who was a pretender and not a contender. Well, this morning when we Look at this whole subject, are you for real? John speaks of a real victory that we will experience if we are for real in our faith. If our faith is genuine, if it's authentic. And so he, he describes what I would call the pretenders with some of these sections, some of these paragraphs that we see in this second chapter. And, and the first description we'll look at this morning is, pretenders are found loving the passions of this world. Pretenders are, are found loving the passions of this world. So in verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The word love there is that word agape. We might have thought that maybe this is just talking about affection. Not, not that unconditional love. He's saying don't sell yourself out to the things of this world. And in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul said, don't set your mind or your affections on earthly things. Those who are pretenders get caught up in this world, the things that this world has to offer. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, we're told, don't store up treasures in this world. And that doesn't mean don't have things. It means don't let things have you. Don't let that be the treasures of your life. Remember that passage goes on to give us some good instruction about worry. So when you begin to worry about the things of this world, then you, you, you've made the things of this world your treasure. You've set your affections on worldly things. They begin to rob you of your joy. So we're told, let your passions be for this world. And the word world is, is used in a couple of ways in Scripture. World sometimes refers to the sea of humanity that is alienated from God. That's not what the word is being used for here. The context always gives us the answer to that, and the context will, 
we'll, we'll get into what, the, what he's speaking of with the world here. But obviously, he's not saying, don't love people in the world. It's the same word was used in John chapter 3 and verse 16 where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we know that if God loves something, we're to love what God loves. And so it's not speaking of the sea of humanity. We're to love the people of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white, every nation, tribe, and tongue. We're to love people and want them to come to a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So He's not saying don't love the people of the world. He's talking about a worldly system because this word is also used in the first century and used today to describe possessions, pleasures, and philosophies that keep you from seeking God first. Possessions, pleasures, and philosophies. Those things that you can experience and feel and touch. Remember what we said about the Gnostics in this book? that They, they, they came along and said, man, you know that, that which you can touch, that which is real, that's kind of separate from the spiritual, and you build this false dichotomy and and, and have this spiritual side, you're saying we're okay with God over here, and then over here I can seek all of the worldly pleasures. And he's saying, no, 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 don't get into that. The possessions and the pleasures and the philosophies that keep you from seeking God first, if you're doing that, he says, the love of the Father's not in you. You're not experiencing something real. And so in verse 16, he breaks down how we respond to those things of the world. He says, all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's life, the boastful pride of life, as some translations put it, goes back to how the devil has always worked to keep people from making Jesus Christ, making God number one in their life. Has he not always worked that way? Think about how he worked with Eve and, and, and through Eve and also with Adam as compared to how Jesus responded. It, it was the same way. The, the lust of the flesh. Remember... Eve, it says in Genesis chapter 3, saw that the fruit was good for food. There was a lust of the flesh that said, man, I, I want to partake. It's good for food. The devil also tempted Jesus to turn the stones into bread when he was in the wilderness there for 40 days without anything to eat. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, I'm not after something temporal, I'm after something eternal. The lust of the eyes. Eve saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. With her eyes, she began to covet. Jesus, on the pinnacle of the temple, was shown, you know, well, before the pinnacle of the temple, on top of the mountain, um, he was shown all the kingdoms of the world. And it was interesting that the devil thought he had that to offer. He, he knew he didn't have that to offer. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the people and all that dwell in it really all belong to God from the beginning. But there was an appeal to the eyes. And so sometimes we, we begin to covet the things of this world. And, and it's, there have been times where I didn't want to covet something. And I remember pulling up beside a particular truck that I thought, man, I, man, I would really, I found myself battling with co covetousness right there at a traffic light going, man, I'd really like to have that truck. And I thought, well, Lord, I don't want to covet my neighbor's truck, so I don't want his truck. But man, I sure would like one just like it. And we, lust of the eyes. You have the lust of the flesh, those things our flesh desires, lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life that we all battle with. And Eve saw that the fruit was good to make one wise. 
She had even bought the lie that the devil had said, you know, you will become like God. The devil himself was kicked out of heaven. He knew how that worked, wanting to be his own God. And when Jesus was taken to the temple and told he could jump from the temple and the angels would bear him up, why, so everybody could see the miraculous, the spectacular, boastful pride of life. You shall not tempt the Lord your God was his response. Every time with the word of God, every time going back to his eternal purpose, not a temporal moment. And so the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life cause us to live for the passions of this world and live for the moment instead of living our life on purpose for eternity with a love for God first. When we live for the moment, we're living for a legacy, something that lasts. I'm sorry, when we live for eternity, we live for a legacy, something that lasts. When we live for the moment, we forfeit that. And the world, look at verse 17, with all of its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. We live for the moment, we live for the passions of this world, we become trapped into the things of this world. We, we, we begin to develop callous hearts, Matthew 13 and verse 15 uh, Jesus speaks of those hearts that become callous because of the things of this world. And we, we, we no longer have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God in our life, but, but our flesh is now in control, wanting everything that this world has to offer. I, I used to hear the, the story all the time of the way people would catch monkeys and, and how they would put these shiny coins into a jar, and, and I tried to find, you know, tried to snopes it and all that kind of stuff and find out, was this a true story? And whether or not that's a true story or not, I, I never quite figured that out. But I did find, and you could look this up maybe on YouTube after church today and see it for yourself, I did find where some tribal groups in Africa, and, and somebody videotaped this, it's kind of, kind of sad to watch, I guess, but the way they would catch baboons is, is they would go to these large anthills. You know, we think we have big anthills, uh, here in Georgia. But they would go to these anthills, I mean, that are like this tall and look like small mountains, <laughs> these large mounds of, uh, of uh, these anthills, and they would go and they would find these little holes that you could barely stick your hand into, and, and they would take melon seeds and they would put it into that hole, and they would throw all the melon seeds into the hole, and, and the a baboon would be watching with curiosity till a curiosity would almost drive him crazy, but he wouldn't come near the man who was doing it. So as I watched, the man walked away and he, he kind of stood and hid behind a tree. And sure enough, the baboon went after those melon seeds and, and reached in there. And when he got a handful of them, because of his fist being balled up like this, he couldn't pull his hand out of the hole. And, and so this man would go and, and the baboon's trying to get free and trying to get free, but he won't let it go. <laughs> he just would not let go until... Ultimately, he was captured, and the man was able to, to put a rope around him and walk away with this baboon, finally releasing after it was too late. And that's how we are with the things of this world, pretenders, but yet enslaved by the things of this world because we just won't let it go. We grab a hold of what this world has to offer, and God is saying, I want you to put me first in your life. And there may be a young lady here who he's saying, you know, that guy that you're dating, he's not on fire for Jesus. He's not the one for you, and, and, but you won't let go. That, that, that young man who knows there's a certain language that makes him cool in a, in a locker room somewhere, that language that, that wins him some laughs with his buddies, and God's saying, you need to let go of that worldly 
behavior, the passion for popularity and those things, and, and he's saying, but I just can't let it go. And the enemy has him enslaved. The man who's battling with pornography or other temptations. The woman who's, because of the pride of life, involved in relationships at work that she shouldn't be involved in, and to act, but I can't let these things go. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witness, so let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, it ensnares us, it holds us back. You think, but, but there's a temporary pleasure that I'm gaining from this, and God is saying, do you want what this world has to offer in, in temporal terms? Because if you're looking for pleasure, Psalm 1611 says, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. And you're settling for what this world has to offer, and it could be an indication that you're just a pretender and not a contender. Because pretenders are found, he says, loving the passions of this world. After what this world has to offer, not after the kingdom of God and seeking first the kingdom. Second description here I want you to see is pretenders are found leaving the people of authentic faith. They're loving the passions of this world and they're leaving the people of authentic faith. In verse 18, when he talks about the danger that this last hour Antichrist is coming, he says, even now many Antichrists, false teachers, deceptive leaders, those who would be against the gospel, in verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they didn't belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. There will be doctrinal heresies of all kinds of extremes. Two of the major heresies that we see in the New Testament one errs on the side of legalism, that you've got to do all of these things. Uh, the, the Judaizers that came along said, man, here are all the religious rituals you have to go through to kind of earn your salvation with God, to find favor with God. And so they went against the gospel of grace. Paul confronts that in the book of Galatians big time. He said, you, you started by faith. Who tripped you up? Who got you caught up in having to do all these things and please God in your own flesh? But, but to the other extreme, there were the libertines. And the Gnostic crowd would tend to lean more in that direction in the New Testament. They were the ones who, who didn't say, hey, there's all these works of the law that you have to do to earn favor with God. They came and said, listen, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So thank God for grace and since we're saved by grace, and grace covers a multitude of sins, let me just do more sinning so there can be more grace. Thank God for His grace. And so grace for the libertine became a license to sin. And so Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how can we that have died to sin keep on living in it? So there were these, these false teachers, these antichrists. And ultimately, neither they nor the people who would follow them would hang around the truth very long. And so in verse 19, he's talking about, listen, they went out so it might be clear, so it might be revealed to us, might be made manifest that none of them 
belong to us. He's not saying, listen, man, they had something that was so wonderful, and, and they left what they had that was so wonderful. He's saying they went out from us because it was never real to start with. They were only pretenders to begin with. And so it might be revealed. Don't, he's saying don't get too upset. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, but the pretenders get gone. And so beliefs don't turn into practice for them, or false beliefs is what they be, begin to practice. And in verse 21, we'll come back to verse 20 in a moment. Verse 21, he says, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. Because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies Jesus the Messiah? They were denying the gospel of God's grace. They were beginning to practice their lack of belief. He is the Antichrist, he says, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. In other words, they did not embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, that Jesus Christ saves, delivers, and, and makes us a brand new person, and we walk in him in newness of life. In, in other words, he's saying they, they weren't for real. There's some young people that need to hear this morning because some of you would have to admit you are playing church for your parents. You're going through the motion, but you would have to, if you got honest this morning, you would have to say, Pastor Robbie, that's, I'm just one of the pretenders. I'm just trying to keep my parents happy. I'm kind of going through the motion. I try to make things sound like they're kind of going good at school when they're not really going that good at school. I try to make things sound like they're going good up here in my mind when they're not really going that good in my mind. But Pastor Robbie, if I had to be honest today, I'd have to confess that I'm just a pretender. I'm not really a contender. I'm, this thing isn't real to me. And, and what might be more tragic than that is there could be some parents under the sound of my voice that would have to say the same thing. I'm just going through the motions for my kids' sake. I'm going to church because I, I hope they keep me. Back in my day, back in the 80s, it was kind of like this. You go to church and take your kids to church to keep them off of uh, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. Keep them away from everything. I want them to be good kids. I want them to reflect good on me. And so I want to have them in a good uh, a youth group, a good children's program. And I am grateful and, and I praise God for our, our ministry to the next generation here, and we've made that a priority, and, and that we have this place just humming this past Wednesday night with children and with students, and they were encountering the Word of God, and they were encountering the God of Word. Man, God is at work. It's like revival every Wednesday night around here, and it's exciting to hear it. It's exciting to see what God is doing. But I know because I've seen it again and again and again that there are some parents here that once your kids graduate from high school, it would be easy for you to slip out and not show up again. Because it's kind of like, I did my job, and thank God the church helped. And then you don't see them anymore. Do you ever know any parents like that, Pastor Ben? You don't have to call them names. But it man, it's, it's kind of good for my kids. If it's not real in your life, they're going to conclude one day that it's not, it's not real enough for me either. So ask yourself, am I a pretender or a contender? 
will I be found leaving the people of authentic faith? I hope that... You remember watching commercials on TV? Maybe during a ball game, maybe during a Christmas season or something like that, watching a Christmas movie. And all of a sudden, there would be a scene of a beach resort, and you're thinking, man, they're advertising a beach resort. Man, I'd love to go to that beach resort one day. The, the sun's going down over the ocean. And you're like, oh, what a, what a beautiful sunset. Man, that'd be a good place to watch the sunset. And about the time in the middle of your commercial, this little pink bunny with a big drum comes walking out. Just like that. And at the bottom of the screen, you see the writing, and you hear the, the, the voice come over, and it just says, still going. It was the Energizer Bunny. And they had done one commercial about this Energizer Bunny years earlier about how, man, those batteries just, man, they're still going. And just about the time you're enjoying a commercial, and you're saying, what is this household appliance that they're advertising? I can't wait to get it. What is this cleaning product? And about the time, in the midst of the commercial, they've got you on the edge of your seat, and you're thinking, man, I've got to buy this. Man, I've got to go there. I've got to experience this. And here comes that bunny again. You're like, oh, man, still going. And I think people need to look at me and look at you in this life and again and again, people you may not have seen, maybe you go to a high school reunion, maybe you run into them in a grocery store, maybe you see them in the workplace, but when they see you, they see that you're still walking with God, you're still on fire for Jesus Christ, you're living out what you say you believe, and they say, there he is, still going. There she is, still going. Is that what they see in your life? Is that what they see in my life? I remember one of the greatest compliments I received from a friend of mine. He had played uh, baseball at Liberty University and we ended up in, in seminary together. And God had called him to preach. And after our graduation, he said, right, and this was so encouraging me, and I pray that it was prophetic. I pray that it's true. But he said, Robbie, you're one of those friends. He says, I just have to believe as I look around, there's a lot of, a lot of these guys that aren't going to stay with the stuff. He says, you're one of those guys, I believe, that years from now will still be preaching the Word of God. His name was Mac. I said, I appreciate that. appreciate you sharing that with me, and I pray that that is the case. Still going. Not leaving the people of authentic faith. Faithfulness to Christ. Faithfulness to His church. Faithfulness to His mission. Faithful to our calling in him. By the way, let me be clear. Your faithfulness to him does not save you. Faithfulness to his church does not save you. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Faithfulness to his mission and his calling on your life does not save you. But your faithfulness, he says, manifests or reveals or makes clear just how genuine your salvation is. So while it doesn't save you, it sure tells us a lot about how real it is. Finally, we see that pretenders are found lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. Pretenders are found lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 20. He speaks of this anointing. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all have knowledge, talking about experiential knowledge. You've encountered him, 
And you have a knowledge of, of an experience with him. You have this anointing. In verses 24 through 27, the end of the chapter, he kind of comes back to that. When we're remaining with God, when we're abiding in him, he says, what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son, and the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us. Eternal life. I have written these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He says, there's something that they don't have that you have. And he comes back and he says, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you the Holy Spirit bringing all things to light. He's guiding us into all truth. He illuminates the Word of God and empowers us to live it out in our lives. This anointing is a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Often the word anointing in the Bible is used for when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody for a specific time to accomplish a specific task. In the New Testament, our bodies, now under the New Covenant, our bodies become the, whole, the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us, anointing and empowering us to keep on walking with God and to be fruitful in that walk with Him. And so when we grow as believers, we begin to learn how to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Now as we close this morning, I want you to read something with me. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. I want us to look at verses 16 through 18, and I want us to read this out loud. I want us to read this together. I want to hear all the voices. Got it? I think it's on the screen to help you out. Say it with me. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit decides what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When he says we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, in the Greek, that is a double negative. And I realize in the English language, a double negative makes a positive. But in the Greek, a double negative makes an emphatic. And he says you cannot walk in the Spirit's power and at the same time go back to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's impossible. So he's saying learn to walk in the Spirit. You have an anointing. Walk in the Spirit. You'll be a contender, not a pretender. You'll experience real victory. The world will see a difference in your life. There was a couple of men walking across a farm. This man was talking to the guy who owned the farm. and This farmer got tickled when the man looked way out and he could see this well, this pump. And he saw a man standing by the pump and he, he had the handle and he was just pumping water. Water was gushing out everywhere as his hand was just going up and down like this. He was like, man, I don't know who that dude is. He's got to be a strong rascal because he's just pumping that water. Water was just shooting everywhere and he was just pumping that water. The farmer got tickled because he knew something the man didn't know and that's when they got closer. It wasn't really... A real man. It was a wooden cutout 
a wooden arm with a hinge in the elbow, and it was an artesian well where the water just forces its way out through the natural pressures. And so, so the man wasn't pumping the well. The well was pumping him. And sometime in our lives as, as believers, we think, I've got to work something up. <laughs> but we have an anointing that's from God. And when we're walking in the Spirit, we're not working something up. He's working in us to do His will and His good pleasure. That's real victory. Is that what you're walking in? Would you bow your heads with me?